<laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Remembering and Reenchanting podcast. My name is Sarah Jolina Wolcott, and I am your hostess on this sacred learning journey of unraveling, unveiling, and becoming more fully alive at the end of the world as we know it. In this podcast, we offer up to you, dear listener, three forms of episodes to support your journey of remembering and re-enchanting. First, conversations with amazing people. Second, storytelling. And third, myth-casting. This episode is a myth-casting episode, where I take a myth that has been around for many generations, told in many different ways, by different people and retell it for our times. In a time before this time that is still very much in this time and which might even happen tomorrow, you swam in the great blue ocean. You swam with such play, such elegance. Down, down you swam you and your pack of sisters and brothers and friends, sliding against one another, your hair wet and smooth and slick in the water as you swiftly move amidst seahorses and whales and fish. So easily your thoughts become motion, become waves whippling through the great ocean. So easily you hunt, you capture, you feed. So easily you surface, breathing, resting, playing, looking with the eyes of the seal. To love the ocean is to love yourself, and you have never known any separation from love. And so it is not out of any lack of love that you think of exploring something different. Curiosity compels you, for you have heard of tales, tales of a land where wondrous things may occur. Tales of a place where you can explore another side of yourself, that part of you that is not of water but of land, a different world. You've heard of this place, a place where the old ones know the spells, so that you can transition into something else and do something else, move differently. A place where there is music, not not the music of the ocean, but another kind of music. You wonder what that other kind of music might be like. Not this place, the island of smooth rocks in the middle of the sea where you were born and where you might someday go again to bear your own children, no, to another place, a place of adventure and becoming. Your friends and you want to go. You circle under the full moon, fins flapping, whiskers twitching, eyes catching the silvery light. You scheme. You will swim to that place to try on a different skin to learn of another world. An older seal, your auntie, has been there before. She will guide you. It is a long journey to that outcropping of land where you may shed your skin for a while and become something else. The decision is made. For three days and three nights you swim, eating only as you need to. As you travel, the water gets warmer. As you travel closer, This clean salt water becomes interspersed with black oil. Strange tubs float by you. 
You see a fish that cannot open her mouth because it is bound by a circular thing. It is almost like a translucent seaweed. Don't eat that fish, you think to yourself. It is a strange thought. You're not entirely sure where it comes from. You have never felt that you should not eat a fish before, unless it is not the kind of fish you like to eat. But this was different. When you see the shore, you get excited, but your auntie, who has been to this land before, is cautious. She looks for a long time at the shore. There are many twinkling lights that hurt your eyes. There are strange smells. Without asking, you know that she is also confused. It did not look like this before. The water did not feel so warm. Still you go on. More and more odd shapes. Shapes that cannot be eaten float past you, lapping up against you with the waves. Eventually you see a small bay with no lights. The auntie guides you towards it. You go towards the shore carefully. There are more and more things that do not belong in the sea. Things that are now increasingly sharp and pointy. Cloth. So much, so many strange objects that you do not have names for. As the water gets shallower, it is harder to avoid the strange, long, and thin objects covered in rust, or the broken blocks that once were rocks but now have some other form. Strange smells emanate from everything. On the shore, you just breathe for a while. The journey has been long and is good to rest. Then you gather together, your tails pointing out, your noses almost touching one another, and Auntie teaches you the magic words. I won't repeat them here. Some spells cannot be said, except for in particular places, particular times, particular seals. As the words are spoken, your seal skin separates like a zipper has gone through it, and you find that you have a new body, one with arms and legs. You try to stand on these two feet, but at first there are, there are sharp pain, pangs of pain in your feet and your knees. You fall and then your wrists hurt and your fingers, how strange it is to have space between your fingers. And for a while you marvel at the thumb and the big toe and how it moves. You crawl, you stand, you walk. After a while, it stops hurting. You flap your arms and you laugh. Not your seal cry, but a human laugh. You touch your friend's skin, a different kind of softness. Really, you've never felt anything quite like this, so smooth, but also so dry. You poke out your tongue and taste your own skin. Gone is the salt and the fur. Even your tongue is soft, not as rough as your seal tongue. Is this what it means to be human? So much softness. After a time of wonder under the stars, your friends begin to dance and you join them. For what else is a seal turned into a woman to do? Who knows how long you dance? The night was growing light and you were growing tired. You go back to the rocks where you had carefully laid your skin. Everyone puts on their seal skin, but you cannot find yours. Where is your skin? You grow frantic, looking quickly under the rock, on the other rocks. Your friends and auntie have already slipped into the water and were waiting for you, but you cannot join them. And then you see him. Somehow none of the seal women had noticed the kayak that had come ashore. They had come so quietly, and the man who had alighted but crouched behind the rocks, 
He wore shoes to protect his feet, and some part of you thought, oh, so that is how they survive without flippers. But then you saw what he had in his hand, and you were so surprised that he was holding your sealskin that you were not even angry until he spoke. I have never seen anyone so beautiful, he said. His words were gentle, even kind. There was a sadness in him. Any seal could see it. Give me my skin. The man did not let go of your skin. Instead, he heard it. He held it tighter. Come with me. Be my wife for seven years. At the end of seven years, I will return your skin to you, and you can return to the ocean and with your friends and your family. You look at him. There is nothing wild in his eyes. You see pain. You also see kindness and desperation longing. You, with very little choice, agree. Your long black hair covers you as he paddles away from the dark bay of your beginnings and into the bright lights of the unknown. From the kayak to a strange vehicle, he calls a car. He drives you to his small house on a paved street lined with street lamps. His house looks like all the other houses. You enter. You are curious. What is this place? He teaches you to survive in the strange world. To shop at supermarkets, no, there are no forests, no berries. You cannot fish in the river or the stream. It is not safe, no, you cannot drink from the lake. Oh, you have never heard so many no's. He shows you the park, but nothing is wild, except perhaps the seagulls who have become your favorite companions. The rare sound of what was once and surely what might someday become. You don't like the plastic spoons he has been using for cooking. He finds you a wooden spoon, which you use. And then one day, by chance or by fate, you go to an event at the library downtown and someone is selling flutes. And though you have had very little money, you manage to buy a bamboo flute, the sounds of which is haunting, evocative of the wind over the wide open sea. For hours you play the flute in the little house on the paved street, not so far from the cliffs overlooking the ocean. The man likes to listen to you play. He likes to comb your hair. He likes to touch you. Over time, you also come to like his touch, which is gentle and kind and a little bit in awe. With him you have a child. The child reminds you of your great-grandmother. The eyes are so similar. They seem to go on forever. With him suckling at your breast, you remember your family under the sea. You play the flute for your son and it calms him, for he is prone to crying loudly whenever there are too many people around. Sometimes your husband watches the two of you with a strange expression, a combination of love and jealousy, bitterness and curiosity. Did he not remember his own mother, you wonder to yourself? But you have come to keep many things to yourself. You learned to walk, cook, and to clean, to change diapers and push grocery carts, although you avoid the gas station as often as possible and tend to refuse to refuel the car. You cannot stand to be near the petroleum. Once, when the child was four years old, you went to the river and you waded in it and you felt the rush of the river on your calves. And you keep going in, that longing in you, so strong you think you will die if you didn't dive in. But the river is not very deep, and it stops at your thighs. And your child is tugging on your hair, and there is dinner to be made, and you sigh. And then you sigh again, and then a tear falls, and it joins with the water in the river. 
and you feel as if the water itself is crying. It misses you so much. For seven years, you live with him. As the years go on, your skin becomes brittle. It loses its softness. Your hair begins to thin. You look at the ocean, but you find you cannot see it very well. You cannot hear it very well. You stumble. Your husband says things that you don't understand them all the time. The world is becoming further away. It is as if you are hearing the sounds while you are underwater, but with the ears of a human, not the sensitivity to vibration of a seal. Still, you crack eggs in the morning and fry fish in the evening and tell your son stories of whales and dolphins and starfish, of darkness and sea salt water and what it is like to swim. For that is your world. And at the end of seven years, you go to your husband. Give me my skin as you promised. If I give you your skin, you will leave me and you will leave your child. I cannot permit you to leave your child motherless. How can I raise him alone? He is but a boy. Give me my skin. You demand, you plead, you cajole, but the coldness within him is so strong, and you wonder if he has softened at all during the last seven years, or if he just imagined it. All those times when you share laughter, what were they for? He fills a cup with water. The cup is plastic. You wonder if it is the plastic that makes his heart cold. If somehow the plastic changes the quality of the water so that it cannot flow properly, cannot cleanse him properly. You stop allowing your son to drink from plastic. You continue to make the beds and to play with your son, but you're only half there. You barely enjoy the playing. You laugh and you hope your son doesn't notice that your laughter is not as light as it was when you believed you would get your skin back. And your human skin begins to fade, to flake. The joints begin to ache, and you never seem to get enough sleep. And the weight of the world grows heavier, and you have never felt so much as if you were walking, not swimming, through water. And you find that you have lost the energy to play your flute. One night, when the house is asleep, your son hears a noise. It is his own name, Uru. The sound reverberates across the waters in a small town where all the houses look the same. Uru gets out of bed following the sound. He follows a path he never noticed before, down an alleyway with broken glass that his father warned him not to take. But his boots are strong and this seems somehow the right way. There is a hole in a fence just big enough for him to get through. And then he's at the river, and he sees in the dim light that the stones make a stepping bridge, and he bounds on them and doesn't even get his shoes wet. He trips over a branch and skids down the hill, and then he's at the edge of a cliff, a cliff he has known about all his life but never actually been down. And the voice is coming from beyond the cliff, which looks out to the sea. He ventures to the edge of the cliff where a lone pine tree juts out. A gesture of bravery, a testimony to the possibilities of beauty, open to those who dare to have the courage to live on the edge of the cliff. He leans against the tree which feels safe and secure, and as he does, he knocks over a rock. The rock falls over the cliff with barely a sound. Beneath the rock, his feet hit something, something soft, 
It was under the rock beneath the pine tree on the edge of the cliff. He bends down, hands groping in the dark, and pulls out a heavy, soft skin. As he holds the seal skin, wave after wave come overcome him. The sweet scent, a feeling like his mother, the touch of his mother, the taste of his mother, the sound of his mother's soft humming in the evening when the lights are off and she is not aware that he is listening. Uru. The name is called again, and this time he sees it. A seal out in the water with whiskers long and eyebrows thick, and eyes so old they can see through the dark, shining with a light that was not really there, bright enough so that he could see those eyes. They remind him of his mother, or of how his mother used to be before her skin became so dry she could barely stand to be touched lest the skin itself flake off. He ran back to the house, back up the hill and through the hole in the fence and over the cracked glass alleyway that smelled like piss and into his bedroom. He crawled into bed then and slept with the skin all night long, the touch of it against his cheek like the sound of a lullaby. The next day, after his father went off to work, he gave the skin to you. His eyes were calm, as if he knew exactly what he was doing. You hold Uru and you weep and you weep and you feed him a large lunch of fried fish and leave the extra in the refrigerator. You do not wait until your husband comes home. You leave no note nor explanation. You do not feed the cat who often came by and wanted extra bits of fish. He did not make the beds. He did not sweep the floor. The time had come to go and so you went. You carried your son down the cliff to the bay, remembering that playful night so long ago when you thought it would be so glorious to be human, and you donned your skin. And then you breathed three deep breaths into your son's mouth, tickling his his cheeks with your whiskers so that he too could breathe the cold breath of the sea and come to no harm. And then you dove your son under your flipper. You dove deep, you dove long, lungs, felt so full of air you thought you could die forever. Your skin was soft again. You twirled as you swam, round and round as seals go, the sheer joy of the water overtaking you. You swam past the plastic. You did not eat the fish whose mouths were trapped by beer bottles. You now knew what they were. You shoved aside the milk cartons and the plastic egg cartons. You knew those do not belong here. You swam to where the waters were cold and the night was dark and there was no oil in the water. Just the creatures of the deep ocean, ray and whale, fish, and finally other seals. Your family. Under the sea. There at the bottom of the ocean, your son met his great-great-grandmother, that old seal with the long whiskers and the thick eyebrows who called his name out of his sleep and beckoned him home. Some say she has been trusted with all the stories of all the fish and the other sea creatures, even from other oceans, even those whom she eats, even those that no other seal has seen. And there the boy stayed for seven days and seven nights and listened to stories and met his auntie and witnessed his mother in the place where she was most fully alive, most completely at home. And then his mother and great-grandmother turned turned, and took him back to the shore, 
With great care, she and her great-grandmother placed him back home. On the shore. Everything I have touched, she said. My cooking spoon and my knife, my needle and my flute, all of these will guide you and remind you of me. And so the boy, your son, grew. He became a singer and a flute player and a storyteller, sharing his poetry in venues far and near. He could play any wind instrument with such ease and skill that he was given scholarships and awards and opportunities that his father, who was never more than a simple man, could have afforded. And he began to sing songs of being underwater, of a whole world underwater, songs that those children who were younger than him were captivated by and were certain, very certain, that he was singing of the future, even though their parents said he was singing of another time, another place. No, he sings of our future, they told one another, of how we may come to live underwater. And the children would go out to the bay where they say the seal woman came, and would practice swimming and holding their breath, careful to avoid the iron pipes and the plastic cups and the plastic vitamin containers the crumblings of a civilization who thought it could live forever. His father was not always sure what to make of his son who walked with a sway in his hips and a gentleness in his manner and who wore long turquoise shell and shell earrings in both ears and whose eyes reminded him of the fierce, wild ways of his mother. Sometimes he was very angry with the boy, especially when he chose to date not only girls but also boys especially when he learned of the many times that his son went out at night alone and sat by that old pine tree that grew on the edge of the cliff and watched the sea. And what could the son say? He knew his father missed his mother, perhaps more than his father admitted, for he always had her spoon and her knife and her flute. And sometimes seals would bob out of the water and come up to him and let him pet their wet silky skin, and under and others wondered what they told him. And he, unlike his father, had the sea, which never ceased to comfort him. The sea that carried the plastic and the sounds of the seals alike. Thank you so much for listening to the Remembering and Reenchanting podcast. If you are enjoying what you are hearing, please subscribe, share, and leave us a review. I am always happy to hear from you, dear listener, to continue finding ways to connect the disconnected and go deeper on your own journey of remembering and reenchanting with your communities, your organizations, and your families. I invite you to check out our courses and other community offerings via the Sequoia Samanvaya website. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Though I must admit I spend much more time working with really amazing people than crafting social media. If you want to work with me one-on-one or bring me to speak at your organization or family office, you can find out more at sarahjolina.com.